Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here with you. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're hanging out in our Bible study time. If you brought your Bibles, grab your notes so that you can follow along or maybe fire up your journey app. If you're pretty new to church, say I didn't bring a Bible, didn't know I was supposed to. All the scripture I read will be on the screen beside me, so it'll be super easy for you to follow along, and we are super excited that you are here. We're in message four of a series called Jesus in Inner Strength. We're in message 24 of this sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the, sermon on the Mount that started for us last October and is going to continue all the way through the fall as we teach you Matthew 5, 6, and 7, just kind of one or two verses at a time. We are grateful that you are with us today. We've got an exciting summer of ministry planned next weekend, of course, Memorial Day weekend, and then we kick off in June what we're calling Summer Saturdays at Journey. Uh, our church has been scattered now since COVID, since March last year when we kind of broke. We feel like our church has just been a little disjointed first for 13 weeks and I mean, literally thousands of homes across our city uh, and across our country, and then just slowly coming back in small pockets of people. And then even before that and after that in five campuses with video teaching services from time to time. So on Easter, we had all of our people together and it just, it felt like journey for the first time in a long time. And then on Mother's Day, we did a Saturday night service so that we could have everyone together kind of under one roof. And once again, it felt like journey. And we said, man, we feel like after a year of just being separated, that it's time to bring our church back together. We're building this building next door so that we can be in one place together, a spiritual family, a spiritual community. We said, let's not wait until we're there. So starting June 5th, every Saturday in June and July through July 24, we're going to have a Saturday night service at 5 p.m. After all of our Saturday night services, we'll have food, we'll have some fun, we'll have some games out. We're trying to build in Saturday nights what our building will provide for us every Sunday morning, which is just time and space to be together with church family and spiritual friends that we don't currently have in our building. So if you'd want to be a part of that Saturday service, we think we're going to need about 150, 200 families that say, hey, in the summer, Saturday is going to be our service so that we can fit everyone on Sunday morning. But if you'd be willing to think about trying that on Saturday, we would absolutely love to have you. All month long in the month of May, we've been in Matthew chapter 6. What is Jesus teaching us in Matthew chapter 6? Here's the premise. Here's the point of what we are learning all month. We're trying to learn the spiritual practices that lead to the potential of spiritual inner strength. I don't know that there's very many people in the room or watching online right now who don't want to be stronger spiritually. It's interesting, even when they survey people who don't consider themselves religious, they all want to be stronger emotionally and internally, or what we would call spiritually. How do you get stronger spiritually? So in this series, as we've read through Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is showing us things we can do to build our soul. First week of the series, we learned about prayer and we learned how to pray. Second week, we learned a little bit about meditation and reflection, how to think, how to feel when difficult things come into our life. Last week, we learned about fasting, creating of a physical dependency that reminds us how much we need Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about generosity. Next week, we'll talk about trust. All five of those are things that no one will ever see you do in life, but they will see the result of them. Very few people will ever see you pray. Very few people will ever see you meditate on things happening in your life. Very few people will ever see you fast. Very few people will ever know what you give or how you give. And very few people will ever know when you're trusting, when everything inside of you is screaming to run, you're standing firm and you're trusting. So you can't see what we're talking about in you. But if you have this, you all know people like this. You see them and they just seem deeply spiritual. They seem deeply at peace. They seem anchored in a way that you are not. People who have an outer spiritual strength 
have developed that through these inner practices that we're talking about in Matthew chapter 6. Our goal is to develop them so that we can be more like Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He's the guy we're chasing. He's the guy we're trying to be like. In today's message, here are the goals that we're going to chase down as we learn how to become more like Jesus. One, we're going to consider the reality of our secret banker. Last week, I had the opportunity to share a little bit about my past and very specifically the impact that the Fellowship of Christian Athletes had on me growing up. I grew up in a really small town. I went to really small churches most of my life. I never really had a youth group that I went to. My youth group was the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. My summer camp, I never went to summer camp with my church, was always the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They taught me how to love and follow Jesus. And my favorite camp theme of all time with the FCA was 2003 when they launched a campaign called Audience of One. Which, which for athletes was a really easy thing to grab onto because as someone who's competed in sports, you never expect to score a touchdown and have both head coaches be happy. You never expect to hit a home run and to go to both dugouts and give people high fives on the way back. And we talked about this reality that we're living in a Christian world right now that kind of says, if you do everything right, not only will Jesus be happy, but the world will love and respect you too. And it's like, in what world was that ever true spiritually? We have an audience of one. And if Jesus is happy, the opposing coach will hate us. He'll be upset. They'll boo, they'll hiss, they'll cuss, they'll be quiet. Let's win for Jesus. He is our audience of one. But it reminds us that we're also accountable to one. And in every area of our life, Jesus said every word, every thought, every action, we are accountable to Jesus. So we're going to learn about our accountability in the area of generosity today. And then we're going to use our generosity as a gauge to see how much we bench in the area of trust. Turn to someone sitting next to you and say, how much you bench? I'll, exp- I'll explain that illustration a little more in the message, but I want you to hang on to that question, how much you bench. Before we ever read scripture at our church, we always pray and ask God to speak to our hearts. Would you just bow your heads with me briefly? Take a deep breath if you haven't done that yet. And two prayers, one, a prayer of confession. Ask God to cleanse your heart of anything that might stand in the way of hearing from him today. And then a request, ask him to speak to you. God, as we settle our soul into this hour, it's really our prayer that you'll take the broken, hard things we live through in the world that break our hearts and make them hard. And God, we pray you'll clean up our heart and get it ready to receive today and then speak to us. As we learn some truths about our secret banker, Let us consider what we can learn from that and how we can grow from that. And God, help all of us to take one step of trust today in our walk with Jesus. That's our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 19. In the past three weeks, we've talked about prayer. We've talked about meditation and reflection. We've talked about fasting. Now we are talking about giving again. Everyone say the word again. We're getting back to where we started in Matthew chapter 6. Here's what we read. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus is talking about giving again. 
Now, for those of you pretty new to church or for those of you with enough tread on your tires in church that you think, oh, no, a sermon about money. Listen, this is not a sermon about money. This is a sermon about trust. But when Jesus teaches about money, we teach about money. We are simply just teaching through the book of Matthew, and there are several times Jesus stops and talks about money, and we will not at Journey have a Thomas Jefferson Bible. Anyone aware of the Thomas Jefferson Bible? Historically, the Thomas, Thomas Jefferson took a Bible, and he cut all the verses out of it that he did not like, and then he said, this is my Bible. It's a thing. It's a real thing. And there are a lot of Christians who want to have a Thomas Jefferson Bible. Just take out the verses that I don't like, and I am totally good with everything in Christianity. We're not going to have a Thomas Jefferson Bible. So if Jesus talks about giving, we're going to talk about giving. But he talks about giving not because he wants our money, but because he wants our trust. Everybody say trust. So today's message is a, day of, uh, today's message is a message about trust. You said, but Christian, you said we're talking about giving again. When did we talk about giving? First message of the series was uh, prayer. Second was meditation and reflection. Third was fasting. When did, we, when did we talk about giving? Actually, spring break, Pastor Scott Courtney, our executive pastor, kind of dipped his toe into the water of Matthew 6. He jumped ahead a few weeks out of Matthew chapter 5. And as the man who handles the finances and leads the team at our church that, that takes care of everything that we give and how we spend that, he talked about Matthew chapter 6, 1 through 4, where he talked about the motivation for why people give and the ministry that can happen when people give. He's the one who introduced us to, number one, what I call our secret banker. You say, why do you get, that's a weird phrase. Why do you keep using that phrase, secret banker? It's how Matthew chapter 6 starts. Scott taught on this a few months ago. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're four weeks now into this chapter. We're 20 verses past these verses, but if we would skip by these verses without meeting our secret banker and having some secrets revealed about how Jesus sees our inner life, I think we would miss some things spiritually. So one of the things we want to do today is we want to reveal some secrets that Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6 about our hearts and our life and how we see him and how we live life. What are those secrets? There's three. Secret number one, Jesus watches how you give. Like if Jesus were here at church today, he'd be an usher. And you would try not to sit in his section, right? Because like if, if you saw him coming down, you'd be like, oh, shoot, it's Jesus again. Tom, give a 20. Like, like he, Jesus is on our side. Like if Jesus is passing the bucket, I guarantee you're thinking differently about your offering. It's like don't even fold the check, Linda. He already knows. Like if Jesus was the usher, we wouldn't even have to have a counting team. He'd get to the end and he'd be like, there's $4,683.28. How do you know? He's like, I'm Jesus. Like I know everything. Jesus was an usher. You say, Christian, that is a metaphor. You're taking it too far. Jesus does not watch what I put in the offering. That's what Mark 12 says. Mark 12 said Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. You have a secret banker, and his name is Jesus. And he sees this area of your inner life. He's probably the only one who sees all of it. All of us have someone in our life who is they're getting a little more mature and a little older, maybe they're aging a little bit, who says things out loud that they shouldn't say out loud. Anyone know someone like that? It's like they just don't care anymore what people think or how people feel. Danielle and I were having dinner with some friends several weeks ago, and they were talking about their elderly parents. They started going to a new church, and they said as they got to church a few weeks ago, someone pulled in in a brand-new sports car. And as this young family got out of this brand-new sports car, the old lady said to her husband, man, I hope they're given a lot in the offering to drive a car like that. 
And our friend said, they said, mom, you can't say that. Like one, he may have given 10 times what that car is worth to ministries across the world. Like you don't know, like you can't say that you don't know what anyone gives. None of it is your business. Like you cannot think that way about other people. And that's true. Nobody in this room probably knows how any of us live in the area of generosity, except Jesus. You have a secret banker who sees every penny, and his name is Jesus. And you need to be aware of that. Secret number two, you have a bank account in heaven. Hopefully. Maybe. Possibly. Maybe we would say it this way. All of us have bank accounts in heaven who are followers of Jesus. Some of us just haven't put any money into them yet. Jesus says, store for yourself treasures in heaven. You can put your money in banks on earth, or you, can, or you can put your money, you can invest in heaven. Store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus said, take some of what you have and invest it spiritually. A lot of the asset wealth of people 2,000 years ago was in textiles, what they wore, the furniture in their house, or in the grain that they would store from their gardens over the course of the harvest season. And Jesus is saying, if you have so many clothes that you don't wear them enough for the moths not to eat through them in your closet, you might have too many clothes. And if you collected so much grain that after you used everything you needed for the winter and the next spring you still had leftovers and the mice ate it up, you probably have too much grain. Like when you have more than you need, so much more that some of it just goes to waste, you should probably invest that spiritually and share with other people because when you do that, you are investing in your heavenly bank account. But it's not just by giving that we invest in our heavenly bank account. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, if you even give someone a cup of cold water, in my name. You're going to be rewarded spiritually. So let me ask you, acts of service, acts of giving, what's, the, what's your eternal balance sheet look like right now? You, you have a heavenly bank account. Is, is anything invested in it? There are very few things at our church that we do that we ask everyone to be a part of. One of them is coming up there. One of them is coming up, though. It's called Summer of Serving. Inside your bulletin is a little card that looks like this. And it gives you an opportunity to serve our community like Jesus would serve our community. We start the first week of June. We literally serve all summer long, culminating in the second week of August, August 8th through 14th, when we will literally mobilize nearly 1,000 people to do thousands of hours of community service, serving our community as the hands and feet of Jesus. People who will never come to our church, people who can never repay our church, we're going out to the people who need the most help in the city that we live in, and we're serving them, and we ask everyone in our church to be a part of this. It's, the, it's one of the only things we ask every single person that considers Journey Home to do. So I want to challenge you. Sign up, go with your small group, go with your serve group, take your family, serve at some point this summer. You say, why? Because you have a heavenly bank account and this will invest in that. When you serve people in Jesus' name, it invests in your heavenly bank account. But then secret number three, Jesus watches how you give. You have a heavenly bank account. Your money's attached to your heart. Your money is attached to your heart. So if you want to know someone's heart, follow the money. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You want to know what has someone's heart? Just go look at the money, you'll know. We every week have been doing these daily reflection questions. They're on the end of your app notes if you're following along digitally. They're in your bulletin if you like a, a paper and pen note taker like me. Wednesdays this week is pretty good. This verse, 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then here's the reflection. If somebody could see, if somebody could only see your bank account ledger over the course of a year, what would they believe the things closest to your heart were? Like if they didn't know you, if they didn't know your name, if they, like didn't, if they weren't aware of your schedule and what you did, like if they were like an accountant from out of town and all they got was your like bank ledger for 12 months, what would they say was most important to you? My son, when he was in high school, they would have said, this kid loves Chick-fil-A. Like in an, in an unusual way, this kid loves Chick-fil-A. Now everybody's looking at him. He's over there. Now he's changed it to Chipotle. Like the college Christian, they'd be like, this kid really loves Chipotle. What would, you, what would your ledger say? What would your bank ledger say? What are the things that have your heart? In our community, a big one is probably kids' sports. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's a lake house. Maybe it's boats and cars or toys. And maybe it's a restaurant. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe it's gambling. Jesus said it's very easy to figure out where someone's heart is. Follow the money. Because people will invest in the things that are most important to them. Money is attached to your heart. Watch this. Giving reveals whether or not your heart is attached to Jesus. Let me say it again. Money is attached to your heart. Generosity is one of the gauges that God uses to see whether or not your heart is attached to Jesus. You say, Christian, I would like to grow in this area. Just like I'd like to grow in every area, I'd like to grow in this area. How do I do it? You've got to be able to answer this question, how, how much you bench. Ask somebody again, how much you bench. This is the most annoying question in the world. Um, so I, I grew up, before I was born, my dad was a football coach. He remained a football coach until 11 years ago. So my whole life, I, I was a coach's kid, and I was, I was born into a football family. Now, normally football players are either really big and strong, or they're small and fast. And then you have guys like me that are neither of those, but your dad's a coach, so you play. And if you, want, like, if you want to do good, if you want to go to combines, if you want to get noticed, like the sheet that they send you asks you like your height, your weight, your bench, your squat, how much you can put on your back and squat down and stand up, how fast you are, how high you jump. Like it's all about your physical strength. And when like you enter a locker room with a group of guys that don't know each other, everyone's like how much, like, how much you bench. That's a level of how strong you are. And usually like when you go to the combine and you give them the sheet, like here's who I am, here's how tall I am, here's how much I weigh, here's how much I bench. When you do all that, they look at you and they think, okay, so you are not uh, big and strong. You are not... Um, small and fast. So like they, they would ask me like quarterback or kicker. Like those, like those are the only options. You don't look like a football player. You don't run like a football player. So you must be able to throw or kick, but doesn't look like there's much else ability in you. So that question, how, how much you bench, it was like, that didn't, that didn't really apply to me. I play a different um, position. And I got a chance to go play college football. I played for a guy who had coached in the NFL for 25 years. His name was Sam Ritigliano. He was the head coach for the Cleveland Browns in the 70s. He won the NFL Coach of the Year, but he could never beat the Pittsburgh Steelers and those great teams that won four Super Bowls. And he, he would always tell stories from his time in the NFL. And I was going through a rough patch at one point um, in my time there. I, I had the chance to start 22 games over two years. I only had about 21 rough patches. <laughs> one was good. The other 21, uh, a little hard. So he, he's talking to me in his back office, and he said, listen, Christian, I only need one thing for my quarterbacks. Like, I need you to throw it to the right team at the right time. That's it. Like, that's it. I don't care how much you bench. I don't care how much you squat. I don't care how fast you are. I don't care how high you can jump. I just need you to throw it to the right team at the right time. 
And he said, listen, I've coached guys like you all my life. Brian Seip, who was his great quarterback with the, the, the Cleveland Browns of the 70s, he's like, wasn't a big guy, didn't have a very strong arm, but threw it to the right team at the right time. He's like, Terry Bradshaw, coached against him for a decade. Not a big, strong guy, not a great arm, threw it to the right team at the right time. And I said, coach, are you, are you saying you don't think I have a strong arm either? Like, 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 like all the things, basically, yes. But he's like, just throw it to our team um, on time. How much you bench? I always hated that question. But it is a good question spiritually in the area of giving if you change one word. And that word would be this, change bench to trust how much you trust. Turn to someone and ask them how much you trust. How much you trust. Because at the end of the day, in its purest form, spiritual giving is an act of trust. It's not a financial transaction as much as it's a spiritual transaction. How much do you trust? Because giving always reveals the motivations of your life, the things that motivate you because your giving is attached to your heart. And it always reveals the trust. What are you placing your trust and hope and security in spiritually? When we study through Scripture, we find out that this is where people get tripped up in the trust cavity of their heart. The primary threats to generosity in your life are going to be greed or security. Greed is the heart that says, I already spent it all. Security is the heart that says, I can't spend any because I might need it later. And if you were to ask people who believe in generosity why they are not generous, 90% will give one of these two answers. I already spent it all or I can't spend any because I might need it later. These are just, these are just the realities. Greed and security are threats to our act of generosity. But it's weird because Followers of Jesus, we believe in this. It's very important to us. As a matter of fact, if Pastor Ryan got up next week at the offering and says, hey, thank you for giving. We used to give away the first 15% of whatever came in, but we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to keep it for us. We'd have hundreds of people who would leave our church or stop giving because it's very, very important to them. Followers of Jesus are generous. Followers of Jesus are people who give. We believe in that and most people want to give. I haven't met very many followers of Jesus who don't want to give. But when you say, why are you not there yet in your journey? They will say, I already spent it all. Or I'm afraid to spend any because I might need it later. Greed or security, which are both steps of trust in your life. Luke 12, 15, Jesus says, man, watch out for greed. Then he said, watch out. Be in your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. Jesus said, watch out that you don't take everything you have and make it all about you. Make sure your life is not built in using what I've given you so that you can gather in abundance of things. Watch out for greed. In 2018, we did a series in February of 2018 as a church that was called Broken. And the premise of the series was this. After 20 years in ministry, after seven years as a church, We found out the vast majority of marriages in our church that were broken, the vast majority of people in our church that were emotionally broken, the vast majority of people who were really struggling through a broken time of life, the vast majority of those were all broken because they were broke and their finances were killing them and they they couldn't figure it out. The way they had lived had just got them so far behind it. It added so much stress to relationships and parenting and work and everything else. They were broken because they were broke. So we said, let's just do three or four weeks and teach people what the Bible says about money. Let's let Jesus followers decide to live their life the way the Bible says you should live your life when it comes to economics. 
And we talked about Paul's advice to Timothy, the apostle Paul, to a young apprentice named Timothy, where he said, listen, Timothy, if you have food and clothes and shelter, you're good. Everything else is extra. Like if, if you have food to eat, you have clothes on your back, you got a roof over your head. Literally everything else you have in your life is extra. And we said our exercise of faith came in the extra. So we, we ask our church, how do, you, how do you spend your extra money? Anything beyond food, clothing, and a roof over your head, where's the extra grow? And we said there's the American way and there's the Jesus way. This is a review for those of you who were at our church three years ago. The American way says, here's what you do with money. Spend it. Spend it. Spend it fast. My first job when I graduated from high school was working road construction with the state of Ohio. I remember our first payday on Friday. Anybody remember when you like had to line up to get a paper check, man? Like we get back to the office and like everyone was waiting at this window to get their checks. And they handed you the paper check. I got in the car of the guy that I rode to work back and forth from every day. And like people were like squealing out of the parking lot. I said, where is everyone going? And he said, they're going to the, to the bank to cash their checks. And I said, you mean deposit their checks? And he said, no, I mean cash their check and it will be gone by Monday morning when they show up at work. They literally live for pay weekends and then they, most of them will drink it all away before they get back to work. They're going to, they're going to spend all their money right now. Now, a lot of us think that's crazy. I'll just spend it in advance and pay it back later. We're like, I'm not going to cash my paycheck. I'm just going to get a credit card. So like we, we owe it to everyone in the world. Like we don't wait till we get it and then spend it all. We spend it all and then hope we'll get it on the back end. So we, we owe our bills. We repay our debt because we live in America. We pay taxes. If we have any left, all of us want to do number four. It's important to everyone. They save for a rainy day. And then if there's any left over, number five, I want to give it to God and others. This is this way of life is why the majority of Jesus followers who think giving is very, very important can't give very, very often because they just, they live like an American. They get it and they spend it and they've borrowed it and they got bills to pay. And by the time, like they just, they spend it all. You say, how, how would Jesus do it? Just flip the list upside down. The Jesus way looks like this. As soon as you receive, you give some to God and you give some to others. And then Joseph in Genesis tells us you should save 20%. It's probably a pretty good number for a rainy day. And by the way, it's coming. It's coming. You will not be the only American in the history of the world to not have a rainy day. It's coming. It will be expensive. So we save. Number three, then we pay taxes. By the way, our American system of economics is set up that if you do number one and two, you actually do less of three. So there's actually some benefit to one and two when it comes to three. And then you pay your bills. Hopefully you repay your debt and don't go into any more debt. And then if you have any leftover, you reward yourself by going to Quick Trip and getting a hot dog and a Diet Coke like every day of your life. That, like that's how, that's how I think Jesus' finances are supposed to work. At the end of the day, you go to Quick Trip, you get your hot dog, Diet Coke, maybe a donut every now and then. And like that's a, that's a good week of life. If you live with greed, you can't do this. Because you, like, you already spent it all. It's too late. So a heart of greed does not allow us to operate this way. You say, Christian, that's a little offensive to me. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Because we don't have a Thomas Jefferson Bible, I say what he said. So a life of greed, Jesus said, watch out that you're not, watch out that it's not all about you or you'll never get to how I want it to be about me. A heart where finances are security will also make it impossible for you to live your life this way. 
Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate one and love the other or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Either, let's, let's put it this way. Either God has your money or your money is your God. There is no option C. Either God has all your money or your money is God. Do, like those are, those are the only two options. When you lay your head down at night, does a great return on your 401k give you more peace than knowing Jesus is on the throne of your heart? When the investments bottom out, even though Jesus is still on the throne of your heart, can, like, can you sleep anymore? Like who, who is God and where do you place your security? This is about what makes me feel most comfortable. Now, for those of you thinking, Christian, I hate sermons on money. Like when are, when are we going to be done? Here's what you need to know. You're not the first to think this. As a matter of fact, Luke who records this same sermon but gives us a little different context. He says in Matthew 16, 13, literally the exact same verse that we, that we see in Matthew chapter 6. In Luke 16, 13, he quotes this, this same verse. No one can serve two masters. Either they'll hate the one and love the other or they'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This word despise here is a really interesting word in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter uh, 16 because it means they hated Jesus for talking about money. Matthew goes on to the next section. Luke says, here's how people felt when Jesus talked about money. The Pharisees who loved money heard everything Jesus was saying about money and they sneered at him. It didn't threaten their soul, but it challenged their way of life, maybe revealed some things about him and they didn't like it. And here's what's interesting about this series. The first message series, we talked about prayer. Most Christians don't pray like they should. Nobody got angry at me for reminding you of that. The second Sunday of this series, we talked about reflection and meditation. Very few Christians journal and meditate enough to process all of our thoughts through the lens of God. But nobody got angry for reminding you of that and trying to help you grow. Last week, we talked about fasting. I promise you, 99% of the Christians in our church don't fast. Yet I didn't get one angry look or email from people saying, how dare you expose this in my life? Why is money different? You have to answer that question. Why is it so personal? Does it have too much of your heart that this makes you angry? Every Sunday I'm trying to help you take steps towards Jesus. Why is this one the one that makes us all so angry? We have to ask that question. For the Pharisees, they just love money. So they didn't like when they were threatened in any way about it. But I think we've got to answer that question for ourselves because it reveals something about our relationship with Jesus. At some point, all of us have to determine if we trust God enough to give to his ministry and his mission. Because giving is always an act of trust. Remember, this message is not about money. This message is about trust and how God can use money to help build your trust. We're getting ready in a few months to move into this building next door that we can't wait to be in. Honestly, between you and I, can't wait to be there. But this building started with a million-dollar prayer because I struggle with financial fears. For me, it's not greed, it's fear, and I'm, I just fear our church will never have enough, and one day we'll have to make really hard, there'll be a really dark season at our church, and it'll be really, really hard financially. So I surround myself with people with a lot more faith 
than, than me when it comes to church finances. And we knew for a year, we got to build. We have so many people. We have so little building. We got to do something. And I just said, I, I, ain't, I ain't doing I just, I don't want to do that. I'm afraid we won't raise enough. I'm afraid it'll cost too much. I'm afraid we won't be able to pay for it. Can't do it. So after a year of kind of fighting that battle, I'm praying in the Jerusalem Prayer Center on one of our mission trips. And as I walk out of that Jerusalem Prayer Center, I really, I felt like the Lord kind of spoke to my heart, not audibly, but like this is just an internal conversation I'm having with the Holy Spirit. And I felt like God said, like, when are you going to have the courage to start a building campaign? And I kind of laughed at God and I said, you give me a million dollar gift and I'll start a building campaign. But until I know you're behind it financially, no chance. And I felt like God said, all right, start praying. Literally, this is conversations happening between the front door of the prayer center and the front door of the bus. So I get on the bus saying, this is crazy, but I told Danielle, I think God wants me to pray someone will give us a million dollars. So she's like, cool. So I prayed that for a year, God have somebody give us a million dollars. And at the end of the year, no one had given us a million dollars. I was like, all right, God, I told you I didn't think we were supposed to have a building. God's like, wait a minute. Like, did you expect me to send you a check from heaven? Are you going to ask someone? Like, that would be so offensive. And God's like, no, like you need to ask someone. So I got a businessman in my life who the first time I ever met him was on our grand opening Sunday. I'd never met the man before this. He came by, shook my hand, said hello, said, I've been watching you from a distance, excited about your church. He does not go to our church, but he's around our church, and he supports a lot of the things we do. And once a year, he'd reach out to me and just say, what do you need from me? And he would always say, does the church need any money? And I would always say, no, we're good. Like, that's not true. But I would always say that, like, no, we're good. We don't need any money. And I thought, this is the only guy who every year for the past like seven years has asked me if I need money. So I called him up and said, you've been asking me what I need. Can we have lunch? We had lunch, finished our lunch. And he says, what do you need? I said, well, you should swallow first because I don't want you to choke. (laughs) And I told him my story from Jerusalem. And I said, "Um, would you be willing to pray for 40 days about giving us a million dollar gift? Because I just don't know that I got the faith if I don't know that financially we're we're not going to make it. And he looked right at me and he said, I will pray for that if you will pray for me. And I said, what do you need me to pray for you? He said, I could give you a million dollars, no problem. That's not a problem. He said, but I'm afraid to do that because where I'm from and in my past, money is great security for my future. So I could give you a million dollars, no future, uh, no problem. But I need you to pray for, I'll pray every day for 40 days if you will pray that I won't be afraid because I've got fear around finances. Then the 40 days, we got back together. He said, God didn't tell me to give you a million dollars. He told me to give you 1.2. When do you want it? And he said, I just had, by the way, my worst financial 40 days that I've had in years. But I felt like God said, trust him. I felt like God said, trust him. So he said, if I had more money, I'd trust God more. Maybe not. Maybe not. I think the people sometimes from all walks of life whether you're making minimum wage or a million dollars a year, struggle thinking, if I don't have what I have, will I still be okay? So money can be a huge threat to our security. It's always an act of trust. And you say, how do people learn to give like that? Just a little bit at a time. Just a little bit at a time. We have a little tool at our church that we haven't used in years called the generosity ladder because we don't, frankly, talk about giving very much because we don't run run across it very much. But we have a lot of people who come to our church who have never been to church before. Then they start coming to a church and they start passing the offering. They're like, why is everybody putting money in a bucket? And like, I'm just, I'm just supposed to give my money. And it's like, that's, that's how followers of Jesus do stuff. We believe we're supposed to give. So you say, how do I learn to be generous? We always say there, first time, first time you've never given before and, and you give, whether it's a dollar or $10, occasionally would describe some people. 
that, you know, when, it, when I have leftover, when I have extra, when I haven't spent it all, when my heart's moved, I'll give. Percentage is beginning to move spiritually to thinking literally every time I receive, I want to give some of that back spiritually. There's tithing. We believe this is the level of worship. Tithing means tenth. It's a word that means tenth uh, in Hebrew. Abraham, before Judaism, was even a religion, worshipped by giving a tenth. His grandson Jacob worshipped by giving a tenth. Jesus affirmed in the New Testament that, that that was a proper way to worship. We don't think you have to give a tenth to get into heaven, but we think a proper act of worship revealed by scriptures to give 10%. And then some people give above that. We called it in our building campaign, Difference Maker. It's like, I not only am giving back what God has given to me, but I'm giving extra because I believe what God is doing. This ladder is about money, but this message is not about money. This message is about trust. So really today is about the trust ladder, not about the generosity ladder. Because every one of these stages reveals your current level of trust spiritually. When you give for the first time, it's usually because you trust the need. Hey, little Johnny needs a sweatshirt and a basketball for Christmas. And you're like, I trust that need. And I want to give Johnny a basketball and a sweatshirt for Christmas. So I'm, so I'm in. I'm in because I trust, my level of trust is I trust that need and I want to help. There's the occasional giver and you would say to a place like ours, the occasional giver trusts the church. They come and if they have extra at the end of a long period of time or they're sitting in church, they'll give because, man, they hear about the church plants in Atlanta and they hear about our impact center and they hear about missions in Guatemala and it's like love and trust what that church is doing, want to be a part of it. I give occasionally because I trust my church. When you begin to give it a percentage, 2%, 4%, 6%. When you give based on what you receive, all of a sudden your trust level moves to God's faithfulness. And you literally think, every time I receive, I trust God that I will receive again. He's faithful. And you begin to give just a little bit every time. A lot of people here say, I'd love to tithe, but I literally, I've spent it all. How do I start? Start at 1%. Choose a percentage, which is you saying, I want to give some of mine back to what God has given me. I always, before our 8 a.m. service, go through the nursery and say hey to all the kids, and I go through our elementary area. There's a little kind of three-year-old room that I always stop at and get the kids riled up and then give them back to their teachers, and I um, come preach. And today, I was kind of leaning over, giving high fives to all the kids, and one of the little girls that ran up, beautiful little girl in this little dress, runs up, and she runs up, she gives me a high five. When she gives me a high five, her offering fell out, eight cents. A nickel and three pennies. So she gives me a high five and it falls on the floor. I'm like, oh no. So, you know, we kind of help her pick it up. And I'm thinking, she belongs to parents who believe in God's faithfulness. And they're trying to teach their kids already. Here's some offering for you. Go give this because God has given to us and we're going to give back. Like, I'm not sure. I don't know what her name is. I don't know what her mom and dad's name is. But I know what, I know where their heart is spiritually on this issue. There was also a little boy in there when I asked the Lisa West girls who were in there, um, you know, helping us in our, in our ministry. I said, hey, how many days of school you have left? They're like, only four more days. One little boy named Noah looked up and he said, we got four days of church today. And then like he had this look on his face like, no. <laughs> no we... <laughs> I will have five services. You only have one. Then your mom and dad will take you home. You'll be all right. Um, the next level is tithing. Tithing means a tenth. People who tithe believe in God's promises. They believe God says, if you will give at this level, uh, I'll trust you, I'll, I'll take care of you, I'll protect you, I'll be with you. This, this level honors me in a way of worship. Uh, so those of you who are tithing, it's because, not because you have an extra 10%, but there's something about you that has believed God's promise that when he gives and you give, there's a spiritual transaction that takes place. By the way, you cannot work on our staff if you're not this level. 
We hold them accountable every year, and all of their reviews, our finance team will review and say either you're good or you're not. You say, why is that? We don't allow people to teach the Bible at our church who haven't signed our statement of faith because we don't want people to teach the Bible if they don't believe it. And we don't want a ministry team who will say they believe God's promises but not practice them. We also don't have any elders who aren't there. Because my greatest fear as a pastor is that in a season of crisis, our elders will say, we don't need to give that 15% away. Let's use it for us until we're back on our feet, and then we'll go. It's a non-negotiable with us. We believe that when God gives and we give back at least 10%, that there's this spiritual exchange that happens. So this is a level we take really seriously. And then above that, this difference maker level, these are people who trust God's generosity. The sign hanging in the hallway. You just believe you can't outgive God. It's like, I not only give 10%, I give more. Why? Because God's been so good to me. I just trust God's generosity. So question, not what is your level of giving, but what does your level of giving reveal about your current level of trust? And how do you grow in this area? You say, I want to grow. How do I do it? Some of you are thinking, you left out some verses. We haven't talked about verses 22 and 23 yet. I would say you're right. Jesus, right before this, says, your heart will show you, your your treasure will show you where your heart is. Right after this, he says, your money will show you who God is. In between those two, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I ask our team to leave the superscripts in today. I normally take these out just because they're distracting. But anytime you see these in a Bible, you should stop and go see what they teach you about the word, because these superscripts are actually really good in the NIV version of the Bible. They tell you that the word healthy is the Greek word haplos, which normally translates generous, not healthy. If your eye is generous, it's kind of related to a Hebrew word that means single or clear. It literally means if you, are, if you have a single focus on Jesus, you'll live generously. What Jesus is teaching is that generosity is the door that opens your heart to learn how to fully and completely trust Jesus. Here's the picture. The hardest thing to trust Jesus with is your money. The window to your soul is your trust. And if you trust Jesus with your money, it kicks the door down and you'll trust him with everything else too. The hardest thing to trust Jesus with is your money. However, if your eyes are healthy, if your eyes are clear, if your eyes have a single focus on Jesus, if your eyes are generous, then it's just going to open up your whole soul to have the light of who Jesus is. Because if you'll trust Jesus with your money, you'll trust him with everything. And at the exact same time, if your eyes are unhealthy, it's the Greek word poneris, it reflects back to a Hebrew word where we get the phrase evil eye. If you've ever given someone the evil eye, you know when someone's giving you the evil eye. To live with an evil eye is to see the Lord and the world through the lens of what you need from them instead of what you can give them. So Jesus said, if your eyes are healthy, if you begin to trust Jesus with money, you'll trust him with everything because money's the hardest. However, if you always look at the Lord and the world and your church, the best English word for this word, poneris, is stingy. If you look at everyone with distrust, your soul's going to be really dark. You're not going to trust anyone. Like, if you can't trust Jesus, you can't trust your spiritual brothers and sisters, like, you can't trust the mission and ministry of Jesus. Like, 
if you look at the mission and the ministry of Jesus with a heart of stinginess and distrust, it's kind of a really dark place inside. If you don't trust Jesus, it's probably going to be really, really dark. So how are your eyes? Generous, stingy, learning trust, distrustful, full of light, a little dark. As we walk through this message, really the final word that we have today is this. Giving takes trust, but giving builds trust. We've been asking this question every step of the way. Jesus, how can I have more intimacy with you? Pray. Jesus, how can I understand you more? Meditate, reflect. Jesus, how can I remember how spiritually dependent I am? Fast. Jesus, how can I learn to trust? Give. It's just another answer in the process that we've been going through. It's not personal, but it is deeply spiritual. So if that's the final word, you say, what's my action step? Climb the ladder. Climb the ladder. Not the ladder of generosity, the ladder of trust. Climb the ladder. Identify where you are and identify what level of trust you want to live at because it's the level of trust you experience and the level of trust you experience is the amount that your heart will be open to Jesus and his ministry and his mission and the world. This isn't a heaven or hell thing. Don't ever give. You're okay. Because of Jesus, our eternity is still secure. He said, I'd really like to trust him. You're going to have to give. For some reason, that's the mechanism he sets up for learning to trust. You're going to have to give. And if you can take that step of trust, your heart, the door of your heart can open just a little more. And eventually, when you're able to kick it wide open, Jesus said, look around. You're going to trust me in every area of life. That's what Jesus desires for us. An inner strength to trust him with everything. Giving's just one of the things we can do to get us there. What Jesus said to your heart today, what do you need to do about it? As we reflect on those questions, let's pray. As we close this service, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. All over the room for those watching online, but hearts are open. What's your greatest generosity barrier? Would you say it's greed or security? Would you say, I want to give, I can't, I spend it all? Or I want to give, but I can't because I, I need it all? What's your greatest generosity barrier, greed or security? I want to challenge you to acknowledge that before God right now in your heart, knowing that he already knows. So you're not telling him anything new. You're just showing him that you understand where you need to grow. What's your next step on the trust ladder that generosity can help you climb? If you know what it is, ask God to help you Lean into his ministry through the local church. Lean into his faithfulness. Lean into his promises. Lean into his generosity. You, you know what your step is. You, you and Jesus are probably the only ones who know. What's your next step? If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, your next step is to open up your heart to receive the one who gave everything so he could be close to you. Jesus loves you. He lived for you. He died on the cross for your sins so you could be close to him and right with God. And if you've never received his love, he offers it to you today by faith. If you've never placed your faith in God, but you say, Christian, I've tried everything else. I need something more. I need, I need to be close to the God of the universe. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to 
I have the power of the Holy Spirit to help me do the right thing. I want to know that when I leave this world, I'll be with God. Just pray this prayer from your heart to heaven. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurt. Lead me in my future. Today I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation. I commit to following Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer with me in just a second, Pastor Ryan will be up here to tell you how you can connect with us and let us know that you made a spiritual decision so we can pray for you, pray with you, give you some information to help you in your new spiritual journey. It would be our joy to do that. But if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus who more than anything wants to develop more trust, climb the ladder. How much you bench, how much do you trust? Your giving will show you where you are strong or weak in this area of trust. So ask Jesus to help you. Father, that's our prayer. That by trusting you in this area of generosity, you would kick open the door of our hearts that would allow us to trust you in everything. And while the world will never see that transaction, they'll see the fruit of it that makes us more like Jesus, that makes us love more, that makes us become more patient, that makes us forgive faster, that makes us the one people come to when there's a need that needs to be met. Lord, do a work in us so we might do your work in the world. That's our prayer. And God, we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said, amen.